Hi, friends. Good to see everybody. Glad you're here. And uh, my name is Ben, one of the pastors here. We're thinking in recent weeks about what it would look like in your life if you lived more boldly. What if all of us did? Wow, here's an operating question for us to get us started. What would you do if you weren't afraid? I like that question. I, I like it and I don't like it at the same time. What would you do if you weren't afraid? That's a really good, because sometimes faith and fear kind of work against each other. Bold. Isn't it true that a lot of Christians just tend to kind of live these kind of bland lives, kind of blend in and kind of you know, what we need if we follow Jesus, we're going to be bold. And so we've been talking about, man, that's going to mean we're going to love boldly with bold love because bold love turns heads. And it opens hearts and opens doors and changes lives and builds relationships. We talked last week about how we need bold faith, how to cling to Jesus tenaciously, even if there's a lot of pressure and opposition, even persecution. Today we're going to talk about bold praying, bold prayers. Here's a cool thing to think about. Anyone can pray bold prayers. You may say, well, I can't do the bold love thing. You don't know, I, you see who I have to live with, or the people around me, or my wife's awful. Well, I can't do bold love. You know, or I, I'm not a big hero of the faith. I can't do bold faith. But you know what? Everyone can pray a bold prayer. I love that. Bold prayers. Uh, um, I heard about a <clears throat> true story about an old lady who was going in for uh, surgery. And she was a spunky old gal. And she was a little apprehensive, as any of us would be, as we, we might go in for surgery. And uh, she was very glad to see a hospital chaplain come by. She's getting ready to wheel in there. And he says, well, may I pray for you? And she says, oh, thank God someone's here to pray. Yes, you can pray for me. And before he prays, he, he says, well, what religious affiliation are you? And she says, well, I'm a Christian. And he says, oh, no, I mean, what denomination? And she's a little thrown by that. She's like, uh, I don't know. I guess I'm just a Christian. And he says, no, you have to have some denominational background. Did you ever go to a denominational church at all? And she, and she says, well, when I was a kid, we went to the Methodist church. He goes, Methodist then. He gets out a little book. He's flumming through the table of contents like he's looking for the Methodist prayer section of his little book, right? And he's going to read it. So he starts to read, oh, dear father, I pray. And she's this old lady. She says, wait, 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 cuts him off, right? Hold on a second. And then she just yells out loud, well, someone get this guy out of here and get me someone who can pray a real prayer, his own prayer. I love that story. I love that story. Now, the truth is you can, you can pray real prayers off a page, but I think what that woman was getting at was, man, I, I want someone who can pray their own. She was, she's going in for surgery. She didn't want, I think it maybe felt to her like he was just reading words off a page, going through the motions, and if we pray like that, that's not the same as bold prayer, is it? Do you pray your own prayers? Do you pray? Let me ask you this. When's the last time you prayed a bold prayer? When you pray, would it usually be considered bold? You know, prayer is just talking to God and it's conversation, the real you, the real God, having a real conversation. So not every word is going to be big and radical and bold. But you know what? If we never have bold prayers, that might say something as well. Sometimes I think we get off track by the way we even talk to our kids and teach them about prayer. We kind of make it this little kind of ritual and a deal, you know, words on a page. Little prayer. Sometimes you sit, sit the kids down at dinner, say, Thank you for the world so sweet. Thank you for the food we eat. Amen. <laughs> Thank you for the world so sweet. Except after 129 people died, 
in Paris, it doesn't feel like a very sweet world. Maybe we need a different prayer. Maybe we need a bold prayer. Anybody feel like we need a bold prayer? I mean, for crying out loud. It's not a sweet little world. And for the thank you for the food we eat, except for what about the 18,000 children who will die around this world today from preventable causes, including starvation? It's time for some bold prayers. A man with leprosy has his skin falling off of him. He's considered unclean. He can't go to the temple. He'll never touch the cheek of his daughter again. Relegated off to the edges of society. But Jesus is coming by. He sees Jesus. He says, Jesus, you can heal me. I believe it. Will you heal me? That's a bold prayer. Are you praying a prayer like that ever? There's a woman who's had a hemorrhage for 12 years, won't stop, uncontrolled bleeding. Life's draining out of her. Money's draining out of her bank account. Blood's draining out of her body. She's on her last legs. Jesus comes by. Her prayer is a dive. She dives. That's the form of her prayer. She dives at the feet of Jesus, believing if she could just grab a hold of the hem of his garment, she would be made well. She does grab a hold of his garment, and she is healed. And Jesus would say later, I felt some power go out of me. Because that woman's bold diving prayer. If the last prayer that you prayed was answered by Jesus, would it be a time when he felt any power go out of him? Or are we just reading words off a page that don't mean anything because we're not really praying bold prayers? Jesus one day said to us, he said, man, when you look, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. They're looking around in the, at the cornfields and the, and the wheat fields, and he's like, no, 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 no. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are... There are so many people, if we can learn with bold eyes, to see people who need God, whose lives are desperately in need of the very thing God has. So we need workers that that can be out there to meet them. But their workers are few, Jesus says. So then he says, pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into the harvest field. Pray. And the word pray there is an imperative, strong word. It doesn't mean, now I lay me down to sleep. It means it's a bold, earnest imploration. It's a way of begging God for something. Pray, he says, and that God would send out workers. The word send there literally means throw, like throw violently, to, like you throw a rock or a ball or a throw a bum in, the, in jail or something, you know, when he's in trouble. You know, you, 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 it's a word throw. So the prayer becomes, God, I see the world in all of its need, and I beg you earnestly for the privilege of being involved in that. Will you throw out, will you thrust me into the world, whoever you put in front of my path, I will speak boldly for you. Is that the prayer you're praying? Is that the pray, prayer we're praying? It's time for some bold prayers. We're going to talk about bold praying because it reflects, first of all, if you're taking notes, I got this from another preacher. I love this, I love this statement. Here it is, number one. What you pray reflects what you believe about God. What you pray reflects what you believe about God. It's really true, isn't it? How you pray, whether you pray, reflects what you believe about God. And of course, as A.W. Tozer reminds us, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. So, you know, if you... I find this very convicting... Stretches will go by of time when I feel like, man, I haven't really prayed much at all. Here I am, a pastor. What does that say? It doesn't match with what I want you to think and what I want to think about what I believe in God. Because if I tell you, if you believe in God, you'll pray. You will pray. And if you don't pray, it says maybe you don't really believe that much in God or you, don't, or you think you don't really need His power because you got it already under control. 
What you pray and what you pray for reflects what you believe in God. Maybe, maybe if you pray small prayers all the time, not really asking God to do much, just maybe help with a parking space here and there, it probably reflects that maybe you don't really believe that God is a God who answers big prayers, so you never throw any out to Him. Or if almost all of your prayers are about yourself and your little world, help me, bless me, comfort me, protect me, be with me, get rid of this pimple, Maybe that's just a reminder that you think God is here to serve you. That's why some people get so upset with God when he doesn't answer their prayer the way they tell him to. He didn't do what I want, so I'm mad at him, or I don't think he's real anymore. That tells more about you than it does about God. So just you know, think about it for a second. Think about the prayers you've prayed this last week. Think hard now for a second. What prayers have you prayed? Some of you are like, well, I don't know that I prayed this last week. Well, right there is a helpful exercise. It tells us some of what we believe about God. You say, well, I can't remember what I prayed. Well, that tells you also something. But maybe you can think of some things you prayed for. Not every prayer is a request, but maybe whatever you prayed for. Just kind of think of them. Maybe jot them down or put them in your phone or write them down right now as, you're, as I'm talking. And let me ask you this as you're thinking about the things you prayed for this last week. If God had answered yes to every single one of those things, what would be different in the world? It's a really interesting question, isn't it? I think for most people, and probably me most days, it's honest to say, what would be different is there's a lot of stuff that's kind of right around just kind of close to me, like stuff about us. There's single ladies in the house that if their prayer had been answered this week, they'd be sitting next to a handsome, God-fearing guy, someone like Luke Erickson, but single. <laughs> or... You would pray that your husband would step up spiritually and be more, that would be the case. What would be different in your world, you know? Maybe the, the house that you're trying to get financing for would come through or the job would happen, finances would be different, marriage would change. But a lot of it has to do with our little circle. What happened to me is I accidentally started bumping into some people and spending time with people who prayed in a whole different, bigger, bolder way. Praying with, you know, sometimes you get thinking so small about things and you hear someone else pray and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, the world just got bigger. That's how it is when I'm, when I'm praying with certain people. This one guy, he always prays for revival to break out. I'm like, revival? I just want my kids to be safe. You're talking about revival? Wow. Well, wait a second. You know what? There are people who have prayed for this service who have prayed for you today. People who don't know your name who are praying that people will begin to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior today. That people will be baptized like that little guy was just now. They're praying for that right now. I know people that are praying for world evangelization. I know people that are praying for every orphan in the world to find a home with a loving family through adoption and care. I know people who are praying for sex trafficking to end. I know people who are praying for whole cities to be turned upside down. I know people who are praying for this church and every church in this country to be filled with people. I know people who are praying for big, bold, audacious prayers like that. And we need to learn to pray like that. Greg, Greg Pruitt, what, what you pray for reflects what you believe about God. Greg Pruitt was a, a missionary, he and his wife Rebecca, with Pioneer Bible Translators, and they were in Africa for a long time. He tells about what, one day... Um, how he woke up to the wails of a mother in grief uh, who was very concerned about her three-year-old who was dying. He felt so sad and he, he, he uh, met with the woman. He asked to see the child. Well, they thought that was odd that the missionary guy wanted to see the baby because they knew that um, 
he couldn't do anything. He didn't have any meds. He wasn't a doctor, but he just felt led like he was supposed to ask to see the child. Well, they said the, the kid was out um, in the bush with a traditional healer, but they found a way, got him into a hut. And so he remembers the moment when, when Rebecca and he walked in and there was this boy in this little grass roof hut lying on the floor, motionless, barely breathing, eyes fixed and dilated, didn't even respond to light. And just this wave of hopelessness came over him and he could sense it in everybody else. And he went into pastor mode, just trying to comfort everybody and help them get through the impending loss and thinking about the funeral. And they were talking amongst themselves in hushed voices about whether it was maybe meningitis or malaria or they didn't know. And really just stumped and stuck and feeling the weight and grief of the moment. And then, then he says, you know, what occurred to me, I was a missionary, so I said, well, maybe we should pray. And as soon as he said the word prayer, the boy's eyes opened up. He started looking around the room. And then he started kind of turning his head and started trying to sit up a little bit. And he said, we better hurry up and pray. I think God wants to heal this kid. And so they did. And they prayed the boldest prayer they knew how to pray. And by the time they were done praying, the boy was breathing normally. And he was sitting up. And he just kept getting better and better by the minute until he was alert enough. They gave him some malaria medicine. And later that night, that whole family and all the friends were having this festive celebration with this little guy running around that they had given up for loss. They tried to give him a second malaria pill, but he wouldn't. He fought it off so violently. He said, if he's that strong, he doesn't need it. And that guy grew up, and he's a leader in that church today because of a bold prayer. Yeah. Now, here's what I love about that. When, Greg, when I heard that story from Greg, he says, that light went on in my head. Because I, 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 I so identify with this moment. He said, the light went off in my head. And I said, oh my goodness, God is real. <laughs> Here's the guy who's a missionary in a form. I, I'm, I happens to me all the time. Like I'll pray and something will happen. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is real. And prayer isn't our last resort. It's our first resort. We need to stop praying that God will bless our strategies. Friends, prayer is the strategy. Prayer didn't heal that boy. God did. And prayer is the way you unleash the power of God. And when you believe that, it'll change the way you pray. And when you pray like that, it'll reflect what you really believe in. Prayer unleashes the power of God. We're getting this idea of bold from the Bible itself. And, and the best place to look for boldness is in the book of Acts because this is the place where the church is actually born and at its best. Follow the river back to its source. And, and you see here, Jesus is walking around and, 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 uh, and calling disciples, but then he says, okay, chaps, you're on your own, and, and, and I'm leaving now, I'm going to go up and reside and preside over this thing from the heaven, I'm going to leave you my spirit. And then he takes off, and the church is born, and they were on fire, I'm telling you. Literally, they were on fire, tongues of fire came on the day of Pentecost, but then they were on fire with boldness. They prayed with boldness, they lived with boldness, they were bold in their faith, they were bold in the way they spoke, and the Holy Spirit was in their midst, and they had the deck stack against them, they had hostile authorities trying to squish them out, they had persecution, they, had, they were their fringe team, and their, their hero was a dead criminal who was considered an insurrectionist. And they didn't have any of the things that we think are so vital to have church today. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have pastors. They didn't have youth pastors. They didn't even have coffee and donuts. Did you, I don't know how you can have church without coffee and donuts, but they did. They didn't have a youth pastor. They didn't have a parking lot. They didn't have anyone waving them in and parking, smiling, and didn't have greeters. They didn't have a screen up front. They didn't even have a Bible. Nothing in written. They were just remembering that Jesus was there. They saw him dead. They saw him alive. And the same God who raised up Jesus from the dead was infusing them with power that pulsed with vibrancy and energy through every one of them. And they were bold as a result. 
And it spread like wildfire. There was 12 and then 120. And then all of a sudden like that, 3,000 and then 5,000. It's all historical record, not just in the Bible, but other places. And by the year 300, all over the Roman Empire, turned the world upside down, 6 million Christ followers. How does that happen? Because they were bold and God was there despite persecution. They crossed language barriers, cultural biases. They extended the borders. They healed the sick. They prayed boldly. They shared their goods. They were generous. They forgave people. They loved people. These are the same people. When Jesus was walking around trying to make a group of disciples, they were always the clueless ones, timid and afraid, backwards. He'd tell a story. They'd go, what? And now they're filled with the Spirit and they're bold and they're turning the world upside down. Friends, that's the church. And now it's our time. That's the church. We're called to be that. There is no plan B. There is a world that is desperately, desperately looking for some help and some answers. And a tame, captive, culturally behaving, innocuous, half-hearted, weak Christianity will not turn any head or change the world because there's no power in it because God's not in that. And so... The question is, we need people who will follow Jesus and be bold. And my question for you is, is that you? Is that us? Because I'm not asking, will we have services every weekend and turn on the lights and have some, something happen? We're talking about, will we be bold in the way that the early church was bold? Because that's what God uses to change things. Say, I will be bold. I will pray bold prayers. Because that reflects what I believe about God. You follow it through here. You look in the book of Acts. You start in chapter 2. You've got Peter standing up and he says, he preaches the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. And he talks all about Jesus. And these people hear it. They hear about what's happened with Jesus dying and rising again. They're cut to the heart and they say, what should we do? He says, repent. Change your life. Get your life straightened around. Be baptized. Every one of you. 3,000 of them do. Wow, that's bold. And then the next, next chapter, you flip over chapter 3. And Peter and John are walking around. There's this guy sitting by the gate. He's paralyzed. He's been there for 40 years. Everybody knows him. Lame Larry or Crippled Calvin. I don't know what his name was. They all knew him. He's sitting there. And somehow Peter feels something inside of him when the guy says to him, hey, you got any money? Peter says, nope, but I'll give you what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. Talk about bold. Get this. The guy does. And everyone's like, whoa, isn't that Lame Larry? They're like, nope, that's walking Wayne. <laughs> Amazing. That's bold. Jumping Jim. He's running around praising God like, hoo-hoo, these guys are on to something. We need a little more of that. Don't you think? Now, the Sanhedrin and the officials got all upset about it. They're like, oh, bring these guys in. They're messing up everything. They're talking about the resurrection. We don't believe in that. Number two, they're, they're young upstarts. They didn't like these rabble-rousers. So they bring in Peter and John. They tell them, get them in there, rough them up, handcuff them, push them around, intimidate them, stand in a circle. Like, All right, and whose name are you doing this? Like the name of Jesus Christ, who you guys crucified. And if I were you, I'd repent. Talk about bold. And then they're like, not another word. Out of you. Do not speak in his name. We order you. I'm serious. We're going to kill you. And then they're like, well, you decide for yourself whether you think it's a good idea for us to obey God or you, but we're going to go with God. You got any other questions? Otherwise, we're out. <laughs> Bold. Wow. Then you pick it up, chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 23. Here's what Scripture says. On their release, they finally said they couldn't, they couldn't kill him because... Because Walking Wayne is now jumping Jim, you know, or that guy, whatever. You know, he's running around. So they can't kill him. So, so they just said, get out of here and don't know another word. They run back. It says, on the release, Peter and John went back to their own people. So they went back to the Christian folk, the, the, the believer dudes. And they're like, 
And they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Hey, what happened? Well, here's the handcuff marking. See that? Yeah, they're trying to intimidate us. They're telling all this bad stuff that happened and so forth. Roughed us up. And then verse 24. And when the other disciples, when everyone heard this, listen, they raised their voices together in prayer. This was their response, to raise their voices together in prayer. I love that phrase. They raised their voices together in prayer. Friends, this is so important that we find times and places for us, especially when we're facing any kind of challenge or opposition, to come together with some others and raise your voices together in prayer. Hearing the prayers of others and praying together is a very powerful thing. My friend Dave, when I pray with him, I'm always like, you know, thank you for this day, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Dave just prays out there. And and as we raise our voices together, it builds my faith. Heard about a small group just this week who was gathering around someone. They're having trouble with their stepson. Don't know what to do, but they just gathered together and raised their voices together in prayer. And they found strength and reorientation for your life. We all need that. That's why I keep saying, get yourself in a small group. Get yourself in a small group so you can come together, have some people to come back and tell how you've been roughed up, and then have them raise their voices together in prayer with you. That's what they did. We need to do it too. Verse 24, in the middle of the verse, it says this. So they start to pray. What do they pray? Well, here's what they pray. Sovereign Lord, everybody say sovereign, Sovereign. to anchor that word, remember that word now. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it. Sovereign basically is like, God, you're the man. You're large and in charge. What you say goes. You're not rattled by anything. You have the final word. It's a God-focused prayer to lift your sights from the trouble you're having up on God. That's where they start. You want to be bold, you've got to pray to a sovereign, supreme God. And they say in verse 27, indeed Herod and Pontius Pilate met together, God. This is their prayer now. Remember when they met with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your Holy Spirit, Jesus, whom you anointed, but they only did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. God, we know that whatever the government's doing, whatever big leader's going to do this or that, whatever's happening, it's only what you're allowing. They're just like puppets to you. You're the one who's large and in charge because you're sovereign. That will help you be bold. You think about the perspective in line of the big governments and the powers that be. It's a way of this God consciousness in their prayers. And that helps kind of posture yourself appropriately because when you pray to a great big God, then the problem you're praying about gets smaller. Prayer reminds us how big God is. And I feel like right now we need to learn to pray to God who's a sovereign God. They're not reminding God of something he doesn't know. God, you created the heaven and the earth. He's like, really? I did? Wow, let me write that down. Thanks for the reminder. I forgot. No, no, no. It's about them and their posture and their attitude toward God. And we need that attitude right now as we're praying in the shadow of the Eiffel Tower these days. We need to pray to a sovereign God in a bold way to just say honestly, God, the streets are running amok. Hell is all over earth. We're falling apart. Everything's gone crazy. Up is down. Black is white. People are falling apart. ISIS is growing. It seems like a political race has got us scared and nervous and depressing. My guy won't win or our gal won't win, whatever. You know, we need to remember, you want to, you want to know the key to praying bold prayers is you take a deep breath in the middle of all that. And you start by saying, God, you're sovereign. You're large and in charge. And then we can move from worry to worship. We can move from wringing our hands to raising our hands. We can move from what am I going to do? What's going to happen? What am I going to do? What are they going to do? To God, what are you going to do? We can move from worrying about is it going to be a donkey or an elephant this year in the election? A donkey or elephant? Oh, oh, oh. And you just say, you know what? You keep your eye on the, the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah, and that's all that matters because God is sovereign. So that's what you do. Sovereign God. 
Terrorist threats, political fears, personal worry, financial concerns, relational failure, doesn't matter. We say, God, you're large and in charge. Now, the next thing, what they do is they begin to pray then these prayers. Number two, if you're taking notes, here it is. Notice what they do is they pray for boldness. You want to you have a bold life, you want to have an epic life, then you pray, God, make me bold. They prayed for boldness. Look at what happens here. Look over in verse 29. Here's what they said. As they begin to pray now, they say, now, Lord, consider their threats. So remember, God, all the bad things that they did to us and what they were threatening to do to us. They're going to kill us and all this stuff, right? Beating and put in prison and all that. Remember now, but I love the next part of that verse. Lord, consider their threats. Now, if you say that if I'm praying that prayer, if I'm saying, God, don't forget how they hurt me, what's the next part of my prayer going to be? What would you pray? Lord, consider their threats and keep me safe, right? Just, they were going to beat me up and do bad things and be mean to me. So God, protect me. Consider their threats and keep me safe. God, put a hedge of protection around me, as we like to say. Heck, heck with the hedge of protection. Put a big old Donald Trump wall around me, God. <laughs> keep me safe. That's not what they prayed. God, consider their threats and everything that they did. Look at the end of verse 29. And enable your servants to speak the word with great boldness. They prayed for more boldness. These are already bold dudes. They didn't ask for protection. They didn't ask to be safe. They asked for faithfulness and fire in their belly to do what God called them to do. If you want to follow Jesus, don't pray to be safe. Jesus said, take up a cross. That sounds safe to you? Now, you don't have to follow Jesus, but if you're going to follow Jesus, don't expect that it's always going to be safe. But it will be bold, and it will be an adventure, and it will be the life you're meant for, and it's the best life ever. Some of you saw on social media that I was in Richmond, Virginia a couple weeks ago for a missions conference and posted some stuff there. You might have seen that. While I was there... Um, I had to go speak at this thing across the street in the convention hall. In the hotel I was at, I was going to grab some, a bite to eat and eat it real quick before I went and did this talk. So I ordered the food. I'm in this kind of restaurant area in the, off the lobby of this hotel, and I'm waiting at the bar. So I go ahead and sit down at the bar. I'm waiting on my food, and there's like four empty stools across this bar. And this guy comes up, sits right next to me, which is like a social faux pas, right? You don't do that. Right? You sit the one, it's like a urinal thing. You don't do the one right next to me. Anyway, he sits down there, and I can tell he's looking at me. You know, he orders a beer, pops it, he's a drink, and he's just looking at me. So I look at him, and he smiles. He goes, it's my birthday. It's my birthday. Part of me wanted to say, happy birthday. Get my food and get out of there. But when a person sits down that close to you and says, this is my birthday, there's something going on, and I just kind of felt like, honestly, it was probably because I was going to have to be preaching sermons on bold. I was thinking about being bold. I was trying to write sermons on being bold. And I think it just prompted me to maybe just engage this guy. I felt like God was trying to say, here's a guy. He's obviously lonely. He needs some love. So we sat and started to talk. And before we did, I just said, hey, um, called up the, the girls around the corner. And I said, hey, this is my friend Milton. And uh, I, did I tell you that's his name, Milton? He says, yeah, my name's Milton. I learned where he worked. And we had a nice little chat. But he said, I said, hey. Hey, it's Milton's birthday. Let's all sing happy birthday to him. They're all over it. A couple of them had these big pipes. They're like, yeah, we'll sing. So they're like, and so they start to sing. We all start to sing happy birthday. There's like five of us. Now the whole restaurant's starting to join in. So I yell, his name is Milton. So we got to the part like, happy birthday, dear Milton. He's up off the bar clinking glasses with everybody he can. Whole restaurants. He's having the best day of his life. He's like, oh, that's awesome. He's so happy. And began to talk. And we just had a great few minutes there. And uh, he was just beaming ear to ear. 
I said, man, I don't have anything to give you for your, my, your birthday, but I, I, I bought his beer. You know, I paid for his beer. It's the first and last time I'll ever do that, but I don't know why. I paid for his beer. And uh, it just felt like the right thing to do. And, uh, and then I said, you know what? I'm going to have to go in just a little bit when my food comes. But Milton, you know what? The best gift I could ever give you is a gift God's already given you. Yeah, I, I don't know if you know that, but God just loves you so much. And God loves you enough that he sent his son to actually die for you and just make you his his child. And I just want to make sure you knew that. It's an awesome gift. And he's like, oh man, the religious thing, I'm not, I'm, I've, been, I've not been so good. And I said, oh, I know. It's me too. You know, that's, that's how we all are. But that's the cool thing. God just loves you so much that he still sent his son for you. And he's kind of probably waiting on you for a relationship. And we had a great conversation. It was short. I didn't feel like I knew what to do or how to end it. I just, you know, thinking, well, you're a preacher and you didn't know. It's like, right. I didn't. I just kind of left it hanging, whatever. But he's like, this is a really good day, man. This is a good day. And uh, this other guy came up and my food came and I had to go. And so I just said, hey, Milton, would, would you mind if I just prayed for you before I go? And he's go, are you a priest? <laughs> I'm like, nope, but I can pray. <laughs> and so I did. And right there in a bar in Richmond, Virginia, we had a little prayer. And I just prayed that God would make himself real to him. And uh, took a picture. Here's a picture of Milton at the bar. We traded phone numbers. And <laughs> there's Milton. Okay, so get this. So I'm walking out, and there's all these people that I know at the conference, like, like 30 of them waiting in line to get a seat in the restaurant. I'm like, every one of them, I'm telling, hey, the guy at the bar's name is Milton. Go talk to him. Tell him happy birthday. Okay, we're pals. And he's like, okay. So I go over, I teach my thing. Like two and a half hours later, I come out of the convention center, and there's this guy like, um, playing like a bucket band thing on the corner for money. I'm going to walk over, put a bucket in his thing, and have him, tell him to have a good day, right? And I walk over, there's another guy walking up. It's Milton, like three blocks away. It's like he's hanging around. It's his birthday, right? So, so he's so he's like he sees me. He's like Ben, like we're old high school pals. He's like big old bear hug. How you doing? I'm like awesome, man. Milton's great to see you. Having a good birthday? Oh man. He says, Yeah, am I having a good birthday? Wow, am I ever? And and I said, Well, you know what? When we took a picture. Um, I posted it on Facebook and I, sh- and I got it out and like 150 of you guys had, had liked it and said, happy birthday, Milton, love you, Milton, God bless you, Milton. And I just showed him that and he gets these big tears. He says, man, man, you have no idea. I think God's trying to tell me something. You're not going to believe what happened. After you left, like 25 people came up to me and said, happy birthday. And everyone's been talking to me. It's the best day of my life. He says that the best thing is, he says, you know what? These two ladies, I don't know, they were kind of weird, but they came up and they were talking to me. They said that I could have Jesus as my Lord and Savior. What you said, I, I didn't understand what you're saying, but, but they said that I could have Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I invited Jesus into my heart and they told me about their church and they hooked me up. It's just awesome. I'm like, great, whatever. And then, so we're yelling over the top of the guy with the blue bucket the whole time, right? And finally, Milton, he just starts dancing. He starts dancing. So I got it on film. Here's 15 seconds of Milton's happy dance on the streets of Richmond, Virginia. It's Milton's birthday today. Hey, happy birthday, Milton. Whatever. So here's the deal. I, I, I don't know what will come of all that. We've talked a couple times, and I, I, you know, maybe I think it changed his life. I don't know. But I think it might have been as much maybe God trying to tell me something, and maybe by extension, you something, about just, you know, if I just stayed on my little bar stool, I felt like I kind of listened to the, a voice somehow that just said, engage this guy. Just and put it yourself out there. Say something. Don't worry if they think you're a nut job. Just go for it. And Maybe that's the same spirit that told Peter and John to stop and talk to Lame Larry that day. I don't know, but it kind of felt like it to me. And it's the same spirit that talks to you all the time if you'll just be bold enough to follow through sometimes. 
Pray for boldness. Let me give you one more. Pray big prayers. Pray big prayers. Not just little baby prayers. Big prayers. What would you do if you weren't afraid? You'd pray big prayers. Sometimes we don't because we don't want to make God look bad in case he can't come through or he's busy or says no on this one. So we just pray little prayers. We think it'll, you know, maybe be imposing on God to pray a big prayer. Look what these guys do. Verse 30. Verse 30. God, here's all the trouble we're in, but you're sovereign. Okay? And now, Lord, they say, stretch out your hands to heal. Do something again, God. I saw what you did to lame Larry. Do it again. Heal some stuff. Do some, perform, perform some miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Do something big. And they prayed, God, heal the sick. Raise the dead. Make us bold. Cast out demons. Do all the big stuff. You want to make a big difference in the world? It's not about you. It's about God. So don't be afraid to pray a big prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this day. It's like every day, seriously? Okay, thank you for the day, but okay, whatever. Thank you for this food. Okay, thank you for this food. Yeah, it's good to do all that. Yep, give us traveling mercies. Okay, I think sometimes God must be up there going, come on, give me something. Give me something to sink my teeth into. We think I'm a little mammy-pammy God. It tells you a lot about what we think about God. Pray a big prayer. Totally ask God to do some big thing. Ask Him something hard once in a while because what you pray tells me and you and the whole world what we believe about God. I'll never forget the night in 2003 we had an elders meeting. We were growing as a church and God was kind of doing something. We knew something was up. We were growing rapidly, had been for a long time. And it's like we felt like we needed to create more space to welcome more people who were far from God. The elders had a meeting, and after that meeting, we walked in the darkness down back here into the woods in our property here. We had a place called the Prayer Shack. It was a little place. We had written stuff on the walls, prayers and verses and names of people we cared about, and we went down there to pray because we were hitting the wall. Couldn't figure out how to move this thing forward. We, uh, you know, our land wasn't working out right. You know, the land wouldn't perk and the plans that we tried to have for a building weren't fitting right and the neighbors wouldn't sell their property. We didn't have any money and it was just like... But then I remember praying as we prayed, we kind of looked through where I am standing right now was just, a, just woods with trees and we looked right through this area where I'm standing right now out to Mountain Road. We could see the headlights going by on Mountain Road and we just, we just said, God, people in those cars, some of them need you. Some of them don't have church homes. Some of them are, they, there are marriages that need to be restored. There are... There are addictions that need to be recovered as people that need the hope and love of Jesus. And we are ready. We want to do it. But God, we can't. You've got to do something here. We will do anything. We'll reach 100. We'll reach 200. We'll go, we'll go as big as you want to go, God. Just help us. Will you help us create some space and do something? You know, I remember that night like it was yesterday. And you're looking at some of the answer. You know what, God? Every one of those things that were barriers began to fall one by one. And we walked through. And you know what? We built this big old metal building. And since that time, 2,500 more people have come to make this place home. Almost 4,000 baptisms since then. Think of the children's lives that have changed. The number of mission trips that have gone. The community service all over the world. Starting the Bel Air campus with hundreds there. The Edgewood campus with hundreds there. The epicenter with all that's happening there. The untold good all over missions and everything. Why? How? All because like 12 ordinary kind of sinful broken dorks in the woods dared to pray a big prayer wow so that tells me that tells me we're not done praying big bold prayers if you have prayed your last big prayer your best days are behind you but if you're willing to pray a big prayer your best days are ahead and as a church 
We're going to wake up and start praying some big prayers again. Maybe you should too. You know, fear is what holds us back. Fear is what we're facing that prevents us from bold living, bold courage, bold generosity, bold life. We need to pray like we're not afraid. We need to pray like a guy named Benaiah. You ever heard of this guy, Benaiah? Got your Bible, flip over into 2 Samuel 23. Let me tell you about him as we close. 2 Samuel 23, here's this guy. This guy was awesome. I, I, I would love to have this guy like as a best friend. He was a tough dude. Look at verse 21. He struck down a huge Egyptian. I don't know what huge Egyptian looks like, but I'm picturing muscles rippling out from underneath one of those like Egyptian things, you know, like, hmm. And yeah, this Egyptian has a big spear. That's bad. But Benaiah comes up with a little club and somehow in some kind of Jackie Chan moment, he's like, grabs the spear, bonks him on the head and stabs him with his own spear. <laughs> Bold, that's Benaiah, right? He's the captain of the army. He, he's, got, he's like a Navy SEAL, UFC hardcore dude, right? Look at verse 20. I love this. Verse 20. He struck down... Uh, yeah, he, what else did he do? He performed great exploits. He struck down two of Moab's best men. Also, he also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Mark Batterson wrote a whole book about it. He says, don't miss that verse. It's true. Okay, did you catch that? It doesn't say a lion was attacking some helpless children and he defended them. No, no, no. This dude's out for a walk in the snow, first of all. Who does that? Second of all, he follows the tracks. Hey, it looks like lion tracks in a hole. I think I'll go down there. But he goes down in there, gets a hold of that cat, snaps his neck or whatever you do. How do you kill a lion? I don't know. Can I just say I hate cats? <laughs> and this is one of the happiest verses in the Bible. One time I was in Africa and... Uh, we had done this intense mission work in the city and we were decompressing out on the Maasai Mara in the, out in the, way out in the wilderness area. And I, so I had a, an extra day and I was doing a run around this perimeter out in the way in the sticks in the wilderness. And so I'm way out away from civilization in the camp out on the Maasai Mara. And I come around this corner on this trail and I see this huge, snarling, demonic looking, you know, cat, dog, God invented dogs and then after the fall cats came. And this cat was there with nothing but muscles and fangs. I don't know what it was, a puma, a cougar, a I don't know what it was, something about the size of a small lab. And I'm like, oh, I stop on a dime. He's looking at me. I'm looking at him. He's like 15 feet away. And I turn around. I run like a bat out of hell back to the place. I'm running as fast as I can. I'm thinking to myself, this is where my story ends, right here. The next step or two, I know if I die. Okay, so far, so good. Still, still alive, still alive. I'm just running as fast as I can. And I get all the way back like a quarter mile. My adrenaline's up out of my mouth. And look, I'm still alive. I'm telling you the story. I didn't die that day. It's awesome. But that's what normal people do when they see a cat. They run. Ben, run. Benaiah, he, this is like the ultimate Chuck Norris story, you know? <laughs> lions don't chase Benaiah. Benaiah chases lions. And he goes down into a pit on a snowy day and kills that. You know, he faced something that was very scary. Friends, let me tell you, normal people don't do that. Normal people don't chase lions. Normal people don't live by faith. Normal people don't have a bold story to tell as a result. Normal people have excuses. Normal people never face their fears because normal people have these tame, safe, predictable lives because they are filled with tame, safe, predictable prayers to their same, safe, tame, predictable God. Don't be normal. Be bold.
Prayer is the way you chase down your lion. What's the lion you need to chase? What's the fear in front of you that's preventing you that you're running from instead of pushing through to your greatest divine assignment that God has for your life, where you're supposed to be? There's a ministry inside some of you that needs to come out, but your fear is pushing it down. There's a burden that you have, a holy, righteous indignation for something in the world that's screwed up, but you're afraid of how you can't do it or your resources aren't there or whatever. There's a matter of obedience to God for some of us in this room right now. And you know it, but you're afraid to step forward. So you won't confess that sin. You won't step up and do the right thing. You won't ask for forgiveness. You won't tell someone you're sorry. It's scary to face your fears. I bet Benaiah was scared when he went into the, to the den, but he still went. Courage and boldness isn't the absence of fear. It's going ahead anyway. Yes, it's hard to face your anger problem. Yes, it's scary to face your addiction head on and admit it to someone and get some help. Yeah. But either the lion's chasing you or you're going to chase the lion. And bold prayers are the way where you just come and you pray a big prayer and you have God do the work instead. Maybe the, maybe the, the lion you need to chase is, is you just being bold in the way you talk to your family or your friends about your faith. Not in a brash, ugly way. We got enough of the obnoxious, stupid Christians making Jesus look bad on Facebook already, okay? What we need is people who are winsome and bring light into darkness and who are bold in the way the early church was. In the early church, they didn't, they didn't hate them more. They were attracted to it, and it grew. Let's be bold like that. What's your lion that's chasing you around? It's time for you to start chasing it. Maybe you need to serve in the two-year-old room. Maybe you need to reach out that kid at school, that guy at work. Maybe you need to invite someone to our Christmas service. I don't know what it is, but what would you do if you weren't afraid? Well, you'd pray big prayers and you'd chase that lion. Let me leave you with this. The bigger your God, the bolder your prayers. How big is your God? Big enough to chase a lion? Let me pray for you. God, we ask for your help and courage and faithfulness. And we are, some of us, tired of living bland, boring lives. We want to live lives of faithfulness and lives of boldness. We want to do some things differently. And as this song we're about to, to hear talks, Lord, just help us to do it by starting with you, fixing our eyes on you, Lord. Make us bold, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.